every week we talk to dozens of SaaS founders and operators about the inner workings of growing a business, from the day-to-day minutiae, to inspiration, to the tough decisions, and the mistakes made along the way. You're listening to the SaaS Open Mic Podcast. My name is Olivia Jarvis. Head over to chartmogul.com for more content like this and easy access to your SaaS metrics in just a few clicks. That's chartmogul.com. This week's guest is Brendan Sweeney, the CEO and co-founder of Pop Menu. Brendan started Pop Menu in December 2015 with several leadership roles under his belt. Most recently, Brendan was the VP of Product and Marketing at SaaS Real Estate Marketing and CRM Platform Commissions Inc. He also served as the VP of Product Development at CareerBuilder.com for EMEA. He has demonstrated success driving product, marketing, and UX innovation, scaling high-growth businesses. Brendan earned an MBA from the Georgia Institute of Technology and a Bachelor of Science degree in Communication and Media Studies from Kennesaw State University. In our interview, Brendan and I discuss the topic of product market fit. He shares the story of Pop Menu and finding success in a very obvious place, the online experiences of restaurants. He details Pop Menu's approach to staying close to the customers, the consumers, and the data. We cover the positive and negative impacts of the pandemic on the restaurant and hospitality industry and what to expect from Pop Menu going forward. Here's my interview with Brendan Sweeney. Brendan, thank you for joining me today. So nice to see you. Let's kick off with who you are, where you are, and a bit about Pop Menu. Awesome. Sounds good. Thanks for having me, Olivia. Uh, Excited to talk. I'm Brendan Sweeney. I'm CEO and one of the founders of Pop Menu, which is a restaurant technology company that we started just over four years ago, and I am based in the Atlanta, Georgia area. Fantastic. Amazing. So I've been a Pop Menu fan since I came in touch with you guys. I spoke to your company last year, and I have basically been watching your growth trajectory since. And the reason I wanted to chat to you today was to specifically speak about the topic of product market fit. You guys are all of four years into the business and you have clearly figured out uh, your product and you figured out your market. And I'm curious to kind of start from the beginning. Take me back to the pop menu idea, you and your fellow founders, what kind of skyrocketed or uh, propelled you guys into the restaurant business? Right. Great. I've been doing internet product for over 20 years. And a lot of that was with a company called Career Builder. And, and also there's a company called Commissions Inc. that's in the Atlanta area as well. A lot of, lot of B2B product development, a lot of B2C. And I just, I've always loved it. I mean, I've been doing it for like the history of the internet and, and seeing how it's evolved has always been fascinating for me. But um, it's also made it so I can't look at anything, especially online without saying, hmm, could, it, could that be better or could that be different? Or what if they tried this? Or, and so I've always looked at everything with that you know, that I, the, the product I for, for my whole career. And, and the idea for Pop Menu comes from, you know, just looking at the fact that restaurants still use PDFs as a way of conveying their menu, which for us, it's the most underutilized asset they have. It's, it's their differentiator. It's their inventory. Um, it's, you know, shows their creativity. It shows their quality of ingredients, how they plate. Like there's so much that comes from a menu to boil it down to just a piece of text is, it's crazy. And it's, it's also just not functional in today's world. It's not easy to index for Google. It doesn't work well on a, on a mobile phone, on and on and on. And so we just, we just thought this was like the most obvious thing ever. Why, why don't restaurants have a more compelling tool, you know, to use to present their, their offerings? 
And so we started just noodling on that idea and just sketching and prototyping and really taking it from a consumer perspective, not from a restaurant owner perspective, saying, what would I want to see? You know, which of course, if they're able to present their offerings in a way that consumers want to experience them, it's going to be better for them. So did that and and then got detoured, got pulled into Commissions Inc., ended up product and marketing there. It was a rocket ship. Um, and, and an interesting thing happened there. I mean, it was a great experience in that built up a product team, UX team, marketing team, replatformed the product and sold it all in under two years, um, which was an amazing journey. And it was great that I was free to to pursue other things after that. But then I came out with this playbook that matched up with the consumer idea on restaurants. It was like, oh, now, now I understand how you can use SaaS, especially B2B to C SaaS, to help a small local business kind of take some control back from large, technically sophisticated third-party platforms which is clearly the dynamic in the restaurant space as well as it was in real estate. And so as soon as we kind of paired up that, that consumer prototype with this SaaS playbook, started talking to restaurants, the, the, the four of us that formed the company, started talking to restaurants, sharing these old prototypes, and people got excited and they wanted to buy it even when it was a, a sketch. You know, I just I do think it's, it is like the best compliment any, anyone gave us. Someone in Silicon Valley said, what you guys are doing is the most obvious thing I've ever seen. <laughs> and I was like, great. That's how you want it, you know? And so, yeah, we, we, we started off with delivering to restaurants a dynamic menu that they control, which kind of replicated the experience of the, of the big third-party platforms. So gave consumers all of the criteria they want to make their dining decision, photos, reviews, ratings, social validation, interactivity, all of that. And, and, and so delivering that initial product actually opened us up to a, a whole world of, of other opportunities for the product. And so we're lucky that the beginning of our product market fit journey was something that restaurants responded to, our target market responded to instantly. I, we've had many of them tell us, hey, this is exactly what I would have asked for if I knew how to ask for it. But product market fit is not an on-off switch. Like people were excited about the menu, but there's all kinds of other stuff going on in their digital ecosystem. And so you have your site, you have email, you have social. There's usually just a, a you know bunch of different tools and resources, uh, freelancers, vendors involved in their mix. And so as we started to understand that what they wanted was to move away from this kind of hodgepodge of product and people into something that's really unified, and there are a million benefits to that, uh, that's really where product market fit started to to increase. And so we went from something that people thought was a novel idea to something that over the last year has become like essential to many of their businesses. Wow. What was the timeline on that? Like, when did you guys kind of start to realize that there were these different channels that you could kind of capitalize on? Because you're all of four years old, you've raised money almost every single year you've been in business. So clearly you're unlocking things as you go. Help me understand that timeline. Help me understand that timeline. It's hard, <laughs> it's hard to remember. I, I, I know we, I mean, we launched the first idea, which was basically this dynamic menu experience with, with the ability for the restaurant to um, manage their menu in real time, whether that's adding or removing dishes, changing prices, moving the order around, featuring, adding photos. That was the, that was the first iteration of our product. And that was about eight weeks, six to eight weeks to get live on our first client. And then we added a few more and Really, our key to expanding the product and keeping a tight fit with what our market needs as we've expanded it has been we just we stay super, super close with the clients and consumers and data. And so we, we just are constantly every single day talking to clients, 
every single day looking at data as to how how are the features we're creating and shipping being used or not being used? You know, where are their gaps in what we're providing? Um, what are their struggles do they have that they might not even be able to articulate or they might not know that there's potentially a, a te technology-based um, solution for it? But really listening is, is the key. And it's not that we go and ask customers, what, what should we build for you? Because they don't know. They're running a restaurant. They do hospitality. They don't do technology. They don't want to do technology. It's totally different. But if we just listen to hey, tell us about your world, how's business, you know, what kind of things are you struggling with? What kind of things have been a challenge lately? What kind of things do you think cost more than they should? On and on and on. Like what we're really best at is surfacing all of that information and distilling it down to here are the things we could build that are high value and, and relatively low effort. And so let's go execute it because we know people are going to appreciate it. And so in just in that process of talking, I mean, it's funny because we talk to investors in Silicon Valley all the time, like some of the biggest tech investors in the world. And when they talk about the restaurant tech space, it's like there's, there's so much of it that we've come to know over just a few years of talking with thousands of independent restaurateurs and hospitality groups that they don't know. They can't know. Super fragmented. It's so different than they think. And it's hard. You can't just buy like a McKinsey report on, on what are restaurants spending on this or that. Like it's, it's just too fragmented. And so it's, it's just cool that, you know, the more we talk to restaurants and the more thousands of them we interact with and we start to understand just the path becomes becomes super clear and it becomes easier and easier to know hey this next feature is going to have strong product market fit too totally so a lot of listening is important i mean i'm in sales i spend all of my days talking to people about their ideal outcomes it sounds like you're doing a lot of the same thing with these restaurants and perhaps doing a lot of education on like hey that's actually possible do you find that you are also kind of challenging your buyer to level up better up in terms of software and they're just kind of following along and trusting that, you know, you are the provider for all of those things? Yeah, great question. I mean, before COVID, the number one reason people didn't buy from us was just inertia. They're just, the economy is fine. They were selling fine. They didn't want to interrupt the team. It's already hard enough to introduce something new to the business. It's the busiest business in the world. Everyone's everyone's maxed out. And so, you know, that, that was something that then we were really talking them through like, Hey, I get it. The economy's good. You, you, you've got money coming in. Your tables are generally full, this and that, but there's another world here. There, there are points of, of profit margin that you can find by being more efficient. You know, you can get more done with less people on and on and on. So we were really selling against inertia for the most part. This is still such a nascent industry that there, most of the time we're not selling against a competitor. We're really just selling against inertia. And, and but since COVID, I mean, that's a great forcing factor. It's been talked about, you know, to death, but it's like over the last, I mean, really in the first quarter of COVID, we had, you know, in, in, in 10 weeks, we had more acceleration than the previous 10 years in adopting tech. And kind of everybody knows that. But the thing is, once it, once that quarter had happened and people moved to things they had to move to to survive, literally had to move to to survive. And, and we took on a ton of clients during that time because it was like, hey, I've got these four people and these six tools and it costs too much and it's too complex. It's not working. I can move to pop venue and it's going to be a third of the price, you know, and, and 10 times the performance. Um, and so we didn't have to really convince them then. They were really, they were looking and they had the time to look because their restaurants were closed, you know, and it was like, oh, we got to figure some things out. I heard a, a, a restaurateur put it a really great way. I'm going to mangle it, but it was like, Hey, you never kind of get to put the car up 
you know, you never get to kind of put the car up on whatever those things are in the shop and just look under it and really take a full view and say, wow, what could we be doing different? You know, and, and, and it's not driving along while you're trying to do it. But that was a really good analogy. And so, and, and since then, it's, it's been a really interesting dynamic market in that people are embracing technology. They get it. They, they did it for that first quarter. And then they say, okay, I get it. I can, I can do more with less. I can be more efficient. I can potentially be more profitable or, you know, or I can just not lose as much money during the crisis as I was. Uh, what else do you got? You know, what more is there? And so it's interesting that the industry towards the back half of the year was getting so much savvier about, for instance, online ordering and, and, and how they're connecting technologies and processes. They're getting so much savvier that it was almost like a different market. And, and buyer totally. <laughs> If anyone changed during COVID, it's restaurateurs. There's zero doubt about it. So they changed. They're embracing it more. And now it's, you know, now it's, it's back. It's, it's really a matter of just getting in front of them. Like when we share what we have, it's for them. And they tell us this. I'm not just saying this. They tell us it's just so obviously better than their alternatives that you know, seven to eight out of 10 decision makers that we meet with end up signing up. And then tell me about retention. Like at this point, you're bringing in a ton of restaurants. You know, ideally, COVID is starting to die down. Not here in Vancouver. We're about to close our doors all over again. And you're talking about this fact that, like, everyone slowed down in COVID, could look at their processes, could really start to make sense of it. Do you think that now restaurants are taking this approach of, like, holy smokes, there's so much more and we can be so much better? How is that going to impact your retention? Do you think that your buyers are now going to go out and be software shopping? Or are they still coming back to you and saying, hey, let's keep going? What do you see changing? Yeah, great question. I do think they're evaluating more tools, but they also, it's not like they all of a sudden changed and they're sitting in a cubicle just waiting for software to come to them. And they're not out just Googling, you know, what's the best software for restaurants? Like that's, we, we this is still a very relational business and, and still a lot of our success has been, you know, people telling other people, hey, you got to check this out. Retention has been interesting. Like our gross retention actually went up. So then people stayed with us at a greater rate through the last year of COVID than they did before. And, 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 and it, I mean, it's only a few points better. And that includes, you know, there, there were many of our clients who did go out of business, unfortunately. Um, and so they're in that number. And so even with COVID hitting, and even with many, you know, of our clients uh, going out of business, we still improved our retention. People knew they couldn't really turn off the tools that we have, like at a time when you're, at a, at a dynamic, crazy time like COVID, it's like, I've got to be messaging my customers. I've got to be reengaging them. I need great SEO. If someone's going to order out, I need to get in front of them. I need to have better economics on ordering um, than I do through the third-party marketplaces. Like their needs, their needs were just clearer and clearer than ever. And so sticking with us was a big thing. Our net retention did go down a bit because no one was upselling. And so those churns weren't offset by people moving up to another product level. I mean... We have it's crazy over the last year, about 30% of the deals we've sold have been on annual upfront terms or, or longer than one year. And so they're betting on longevity of this, but they're also not, you know, they're not saying, okay, but I'm going to go for the deluxe package. And so those were interesting things on retention. I just do think that the pattern we've seen as we've added more and more and more functionality, and it's all like a flywheel. It's all related. Each piece makes the other piece better. Adding transactions, online ordering, on-site, on-premises ordering. That makes our emails more effective. 
it makes our reviews that we capture first party reviews with restaurants more effective. Like each of those pieces makes the other better. And it's not just a sum of parts. It's definitely the whole is much better. And so we think, you know, there's a wash of data on, on the COVID stuff. Like where should we be in kind of normal situation retention wise? I'm not sure yet, but it's definitely going to be improving as we improve kind of the relationship between all of the, all of the features we have in the platform. And as that kind of builds more and more value. So cool. Is it really easy for you to communicate ROI to your buyer? Like you've got the product, check. The product is amazing. You've got the market. There's tons of restaurants. How are you then going into them and saying, hey, listen, this investment is going to turn X back to you? Is that an easy thing to communicate? So on one hand, the the easiest part of the ROI we can communicate is the cost savings up front. It's like you can turn off these contractors. You can turn off these tools. You can turn off this, this, and this. And so that one kind of bought us time. One thing with the restaurant tech space is no one provides ROI data. Like it's very, very, very hard to find. Even even kind of mature professionalized hospitality groups have a hard time telling you what's delivering, you know, sales on a Tuesday, things like that. Right. And so like we've been lucky in that. I mean, everyone measures ROI different, differently. A lot of our early customers are like, man, people come in and talk about my menu and they like it. And that's cool. And that's a return on investment. <laughs> they saw a picture of my dish. They're trying something they never tried before because they saw this this review of a dish. And so super anecdotal. As we as we added transactions a year ago and as we build more and more on that transactional piece, um, then it becomes having the transactional piece along with the entire platform, the entire top of funnel experience makes it much easier to say, we did all these things in the top of funnel and, and here's the attribution for this sale that happened. And then also Olivia keeps coming back and buying, you know, based on the emails that get sent, the SMS that get sent from the platform, specials that get pushed out, events that get pushed out. And so you can start to see on a cumulative basis too all these multiple touch points that come through the platform. How are they influencing kind of the total lifetime value of Olivia as she's buying food through this restaurant? So it's it's great. What's great is now a lot of money coming to restaurant tech. Investors and entrepreneurs really understand. Yeah, now is the time. That, that restaurants are ready for great tech. And it's great because the competition and, and the capital coming to the space means restaurants are going to have a lot more tools to choose from, and they have a lot better chance at being successful operating a business in this modern economy. But it also means they're getting savvier. And so with all of that new technology and with all of this attention on the space, they'll get more and more ways to understand true ROI. And that'll make them way more capable of of understanding what levers to pull to have a really successful, profitable business. Wicked. You basically answered my next question, which is like, what's next for this space? I mean, I have been in SaaS for long enough now that I have seen, you know, real estate tech take off and now restaurant tech is taking off and your buyer's getting savvier and your buyer's getting data driven. So my question then is like, what will be the next wave of service that you need to provide to this buyer as they become more sophisticated? Yeah, I mean, I think this one becomes really obvious as the data starts to come out. Like so many companies and investors and restaurants are focused on online ordering because it's been like their lifeline through through COVID. It's, it's, you couldn't really, most restaurants couldn't survive without doing off-premises. And, and then if they were just doing off-premises through marketplaces, um, you know, like like DoorDash and Uber Eats, if they were exclusively doing it through that and didn't have any tools of their own, then the commercials were really whacked on that too, where they're saying, okay, all of my revenue is off-premises right now. And all of it is at like 20, 30% commission. That, that, that's very tough. But so much focus has been on that. 
that a lot of people have taken their eye off the fact that we all want to go back to restaurants. There's huge pent up demand. And there's um, like we look at the data in Australia from Open Table on on premises dining and it's just exploded since they lifted lockdowns. And then it's not just like, oh, we're half where we were. It's like 120 percent some days over uh, 2019. And so there's this massive pent up demand to come on premises. And then there's a few different factors that are coming into play there. One is there's massive labor shortage. The, the biggest problem with restaurant tech or restaurants, um, biggest challenge facing restaurants before COVID was labor shortage. And believe it or not, like every single one of our clients right now is having difficulty hiring, even as hard as things been. And, and so that's coming back. You know, that that's going to become, again, a, a massive uh, challenge for them. And people are coming back on site. You know, people are definitely want to dine in restaurants as soon as they can safely do it. And, you know, there was a lot lost last year. Even the people who survived, you know, like doing well meant you, you kept you, you kept things flat or you didn't lose a ton. You know, we have a few clients who are like they, they had a better Q4 in 2020 than they did in 2019, but that's rare. And so they, they, they need to get you know, you get back on track and, and, and start making up for what was lost last year. They need to handle people coming on premises. It's coming and it's a more profitable, it's more profitable segment of their business than online ordering and the, the, the labor shortage. Those three things come together to, to force them, to force them to say, okay, if I'm going to be as efficient as possible in attracting and engaging these people who want to come out to eat and I'm going to get them to their table quickly, I'm going to get them a great consumer experience, which everybody expects kind of a friction, frictionless consumer experience now after the last year sitting at home and using things like, you know, Instacart, but then they can't hire people to make all that happen. They have to turn to technology. And so what I really think is next is a more holistic approach to their technology where it's not so focused on off-premises ordering. It'll be focused on efficiency of everything. And, and, and they're all related. And so whether you're talking about getting people to the table efficiently, getting the maximum check size possible efficiently with great hospitality, um, turning that table quickly so you can get another table in, that becomes really the big trick, um, again, because you can't just hire, you know, and make it happen. So that, that's what I think is next. I, I think there are still lots of people who are way more focused on off-premises, and that's great. I, I, I think the more we're able to give tools to the restaurant space, the, the, the healthier the industry is, and then all of us who love to eat restaurant food all the time are, are happier. Totally. I mean, I single-handedly kept the sushi restaurant across the street in business <laughs> in COVID. <laughs> I actually was speaking to the restaurant owner the other night and they were like, please stop ordering through Uber Eats. Like, just call us because just call it's just us, yeah. killing their margins. And I, I had this total moment of like, yeah, support small business. What am I doing? Why don't I just call it in? So I am starting to see this industry kind of start to react to be able to be like, hey, wait, this is what we want. This is what we need. Here's how we can be better and how we can kind of get back on our feet post pandemic, which is really very cool. So that's your that's your market. Very cool. And there, there are some great technology companies out there who are who are really dedicated to the cause. So and I think really empathize with the restaurants, which has been a little bit that hasn't always been the case. Well, it's never been the case with restaurant technology. We, we, we always just like. We feel like they've been abused by technologists forever, you know, whether it's a third party platform, whether it's a local contractor charging them two grand to do four or five social posts, you know, it's just we, we find that over and over. And so I'm happy to see like great entrepreneurs making products out there that really work for restaurants 
and I, again, I just, we've taken pride in being on their side. We've taken pride in doing everything differently than the most uh, technology companies and restaurants, because there is that, that trust needs to be there, you know, and, and they've just been, <laughs> their trust has been abused for so long. And so we, we're not perfect, but we do everything we can to do right by them and to, and to develop this thing in a way that's as cost efficient for them as possible, as powerful for them as possible and as affordable, you know? Yeah. I commend you. I mean, I think that you're disrupting an industry that was ripe for disruption. It was ready to your earlier point. It was the most obvious thing that could happen, but there was a huge amount of this that had to be done in a really authentic way so that restaurant owners were also learning what was possible rather than somebody saying, Hey, let me manage your social. And I'm just going to charge you like crazy so that you get more reviews or whatever it might be. So I, I really do commend you in that. And I think that your growth speaks to the fact that it's working and you're doing an amazing job listening to your buyer. What's next for you guys? Tell me about pop menu post series B, which you raised last year. Yeah, we're busy. We're, I mean, we're basically, we, we did that raise earlier than we, than we had planned. And it was because of, yeah, we're fortunate that we had a, a tremendous amount of inbound interest on investing in us. And we said, okay, look, COVID's changed things. The, the market's bigger than we thought. We need to go a little bit bigger than we thought. And so we're in the process of tripling our dev, you know, dev product and UX team, tripling our sales team, adding a ton of CX um, and, and other functions so we can support building this product and delivering it globally at scale. I mean, so that's, we're just growing. I mean, I couldn't even, it'd take me like two hours to tell you everything I'm excited about with Pop Menu. We have so much going on product wise. The team's getting so much better. We're adding such great talent. Um, everyone's excited. Everybody that comes on board loves restaurants, loves, loves restaurant food, is passionate about helping restaurateurs. Um, so yeah, just team building, product building, just taking the next step at, at really tackling this, this, what we think is a, a global, global need in that if you go to any country, and look at any restaurant website, you understand that they have a really, really hard time delivering a great digital presence. And so what does that mean? It means in that country, there's another third party platform that's taking control, that's owning guest relationships, um, that's charging them commissions that are probably outsized. And so we're excited to take this on on a global basis. And our team's done it before. And so we're kind of uniquely suited for it. So I'm, I'm pumped about that. I'm, we've already, I mean, signed quite a few folks out of the country, but really getting going with boots on the ground is something that we're, we're pumped about. So taking over the world is what you're telling me. Exactly. Sounds amazing. I really <laughs> admire you guys. I love what you're doing. I point you. to your jobs all the time. I tell a million people how much I respect your executive team. Where can people learn more about you guys or learn more about you? Yeah, definitely tell your sushi restaurant so they don't have to take calls anymore. Nice. But, um, oh, God. <laughs> just just um, get.popmenu.com. Our, our marketing team has, has put in a ton of information in there, whether it's about, you know, the, the various features and services we provide or whether it's um, blog entries where we're trying to share knowledge built up from working with thousands of restaurants. Everything's there. And, and um, definitely encourage any restaurateur, you know, to, to take a look at it. Uh, one thing I've, I've I've never had or I've never heard of a pitch or a demo where somebody came away and said that was a waste of my time. Like they tend to sign up most of the time. And when they don't sign up, they, they tend to have, you know, a decent reason. And so they won't they won't get upset with you if you refer them to to get.popmenu.com. But we appreciate anybody that gets sent that way and, and, and sharing the story with anybody and appreciate the opportunity to share our story here. Of course. Well, thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you for sharing your insights. I can't My wait pleasure. to watch you guys grow. And uh, 
just a quick shout out. Are you liking Chart Mogul so far? Give us a little tiny push there. Do you like your metrics? Oh, absolutely. <laughs> we, we love Chart Mogul. <laughs> Our VP of finance, I mean, I was doing finance a year ago, which is was a disaster. Um, and we hired our VP of finance after the Series A. Yeah, he's amazing. He's awesome. And as we and, and luckily we had worked with him for for years before, and so we knew what kind of talent we were bringing on. But as we started to build out the, the the finance function, like we had worked together ten years ago, you know, and and things are so different now. And so it's funny as we talked about the the different views we needed into the business and the different you know kind of capabilities we needed. It used to be that you needed a whole team. You know, and now some, something like Chart Mogul, I mean, he's like, hey, we used to have eight people doing this at Career Builder, you know, just just preparing that. So to be able to take that on and get really accurate, real time looks from so many different perspectives, it is, you know, it's, it's like having a full FP&A team handling that stuff. So we love it. And it's been great for us. Amazing. Well, I walked you into giving us a recommendation. So thanks. <laughs> That's <lot>. right. <laughs> happy, to, happy to do it. <laughs> all right. Well, thanks for your time today. We wish you all the best and we can't wait to watch you guys grow. Awesome. Thanks so much, Olivia. Take care. If you enjoyed this week's episode of the SaaS Open Mic Podcast, leave us a review wherever you listen to your podcasts. Again, head over to chartmogul.com to try Chartmogul today.